This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Sponsored by Amazon, Audible, HostGator, Gamefly, and supporters of independent media like you. Hey guys, welcome to the Humanist Report. This is the 55th episode of the podcast. And before we get started, I have to send a thank you to the latest people who decided to join the independent media progressive revolution. So today we have Attila Pinter, Steve Heitman, and you can check out his website, voteforamerica.info, as well as his Facebook page, and Floyd Clark. These three individuals are all VIP members. We also have Elizabeth Mennick and Pat Brown, who decided to become Patreon patrons. And we also received two donations, one from Derek Strobel and one from Jermaine Lee. So thank you to all of these individuals for deciding to support The Humanist Report. If you would like to support the podcast, you can visit the links down below in the description box. But all I can ever ask and hope for is for you to just tune in and watch every single day. So on today's episode, I will be getting to the new emails released by Judicial Watch that reveal specific pay-to-play arrangements between the State Department and the Clinton Foundation. I'll also talk about how Hillary Clinton is seeking the endorsement of war criminal Henry Kissinger and how she boasted about the endorsement she received from known war criminal John Negroponte. And additionally, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are at odds again, this time campaigning for their protégés, Debbie Do Anything for Hillary Wasserman Schultz and Tim Canova. Now getting to Donald Trump, we'll talk about the number of times he contradicted himself and how he is now getting cozy with anti-LGBT extremists and is getting friendly with defense contractors in spite of his, quote, non-interventionist rhetoric. So he's making some really grotesque friends. Finally, I'll discuss how the DEA has decided not to declassify or even reclassify marijuana and what one progressive we all know and love had to say about this. So all of these topics will be discussed, so I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, But before we get to that, we're going to go ahead and get to the new weekly dose of stupidity segment. In a world of politics dominated by the strange, the deranged, and outright insane, we'll now take a moment to shine a light on the craziest of what politics has to offer. This is your weekly dose of stupidity. I was a key part of helping President Obama get reelected in 2012, and the work we did to prepare for Hillary Clinton to be our nominee and then make sure that we could get her elected president is, uh, is absolutely critical to advancing the well, issues that I are just, important. I just want- the work we did to prepare for Hillary Clinton to be our nominee. The work we did to prepare for Hillary Clinton to be our nominee. The work we did to prepare for Hillary Clinton to be our nominee. The Democratic National Committee remains neutral in this primary based on our rules. Because I'm the DNC chair and I'm neutral. We have a process set up that is eminently fair. The work we did to prepare for Hillary Clinton to be our nominee. The work we did to prepare for Hillary Clinton to be our nominee. The Democratic National Committee remains neutral in this primary based on our rules. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Oh my God. Stop fucking lying. Always lying to me. You lying so much. You making it hard for me. The work we did to prepare for Hillary Clinton to be our nominee. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. Stupidity. Stupidity. 
The State Department has released 44 new Hillary Clinton emails to Judicial Watch, who filed a Freedom of Information Act request to obtain these emails. Now, what these emails reveal, unsurprisingly, is more evidence of pay-to-play deals between Hillary Clinton's donors from the Clinton Foundation and her State Department. Now, previously, I've talked about how there is a lot of evidence about quid pro quos between the State Department and the Clinton Foundation, uh, but this just kind of compounds the amount of evidence we already have. So, for example, foreign donors to the Clinton Foundation would make donations and or pay Bill Clinton to speak, and then all of a sudden, they would be given preferential treatment in the form of a weapons deal. Now, one example is Saudi Arabia. They contributed $10 million to the Clinton Foundation, and she later gave them a weapons deal. Now, just two months before that deal was finalized, Boeing, who would profit handsomely from this deal that the State Department would be giving to the Saudis, donated nearly $1 million to the Clinton Foundation just to make sure it goes through, and then lo and behold, they are manufacturing F-15s for the Saudis. Now, this is in spite of the fact that Hillary Clinton vocalized her concerns about the repressive tactics that the Saudi regime uses against its own people. So is it the case that she really thought that this deal was a national security priority, or was she just influenced because they donated $10 million to the Clinton Foundation? I'll let you be the judge of that. Now, there were also 1,100 donations to the Clinton Foundation from foreign donors that they allege, quote, slipped through the cracks. So they didn't report these donations because we all know that they're very suspicious, but no, that couple was actually 1100 Now, even though there's only 44 new emails, they, one, reveal more evidence that there are pay-to-play deals between the State Department and the Clinton Foundation, but they also show us that Hillary Clinton lied because she claims that she turned in 55,000 emails, which were the totality of work-related emails while she was Secretary of State, but these new 44 emails are work-related, so she didn't turn these ones in. So the New York Times explains, Tom Fitton, the president of Judicial Watch, charged that Mrs. Clinton hid the documents from the public because they appeared to contradict her official pledge in 2009 to remove herself from Clinton Foundation business while leading the State Department. The documents indicate, he said in a telephone interview, that the State Department and the Clinton Foundation worked hand-in-hand in terms of policy and donor effort. There was no daylight between the two under Mrs. Clinton, and this was contrary to her promises, he added. Now, here are some examples of that. In one email exchange, for instance, an executive at the Clinton Foundation in 2009 sought to put a billionaire donor in touch with the United States ambassador to Lebanon because of the donor's interest there. In another email, the foundation appeared to push aides to Mrs. Clinton to help find a job for a foundation associate. Her aides indicated that the department was working on the request. So clearly, we see her showing preferential treatment to Clinton Foundation donors. Now, this one exchange that I'm going to get to is very telling. So a number of the email exchanges released Tuesday included Uma Abedin, who was a top advisor to Mrs. Clinton at the State Department and later worked at the Clinton Foundation. In April of 2009, Douglas Band, who led the foundation's Clinton Global Initiative, emailed Ms. Abedin and Cheryl D. Mills, another top advisor to Mrs. Clinton, for help with a donor. Mr. Ban wrote that he needed to connect Gilbert Shagori, a Lebanese-Nigerian billionaire who was one of the foundation's top donors, with someone at the State Department to talk about his interest in Lebanon. It's Jeff Feltman, Mrs. Abaddon answered. 
referring to Jeffrey Feltman, who was the American ambassador to Lebanon at the time. I'm sure he knows him. I'll talk to Jeff. Mr. Ban asked her to call Mr. Shigori immediately if possible. This is very important, he wrote in a separate email exchange. Mr. Ban passed along to Miss Abedin and Miss Mills a request for a, quote, favor from an associate who had recently been on a Clinton Foundation trip to Haiti and was apparently seeking work at the State Department. The State Department deleted much of the information about the associate, including his name and the outcome of the job referral, in turning over the emails to Judicial Watch. In one undeleted section, however, Mr. Ban wrote that it was important to take care of the associate's request. A short time later, Ms. Abedin wrote back to say, we all have him on our radar, personnel has been sending him options. So just to reiterate here, someone who works at the Clinton Foundation, Douglas Band, was emailing the State Department saying, hey, I have a mega donor here for the Clinton Foundation, and he's saying he wants a favor. You better get on this right now. That is incredibly telling and suspicious as hell. Now, uh, we all know now why Hillary Clinton decided to set up a private email server in her home. Not for purposes of convenience, but because of this. Now, the response from the Clinton campaign is that Mr. Ban was only a personal assistant to Bill Clinton, uh, and that these emails don't prove anything because they weren't sent by Clinton. Uh, nor do they involve actual work of the Clinton Foundation. It was simply... One State Department aide emailing a Clinton Foundation aide who was Bill Clinton's assistant. Of course you're going to say that. <laughs> I mean, they don't think about the optics and how this looks, and they can't even come up with a reasonable defense. And they can't at least, you know, sympathize with us and say, look, I understand how this looks suspicious, but I can assure you that, you know, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, they both have aides that were in constant contact because they're married. I mean, say something like that, that's more reasonable, but you're trying to pull the wool over our eyes. You're trying to piss on our leg and tell us it's raining. And look, I absolutely agree with them that this does involve Clinton Foundation work. Because Clinton Foundation work isn't necessarily about charity. It's more about appeasing the donors of Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, who also pay them huge speaking fees. And of course, Hillary Clinton isn't going to directly engage in this because you always distance yourself from the corruption. And in fact, we know that's a cover because Hillary Clinton's aides, one of which is Cheryl Mills, who worked at the State Department one time and then the Clinton Foundation at another time, does the dirty work for Hillary Clinton. Take a look. On June 19, 2012, Cheryl Mills, then the Chief of Staff for Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, boarded an Amtrak Acela train in Washington's Union Station, bound for New York. What she did, who she met with, and why has remained a mystery, even to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, until now. For the last seven months, Senate investigators have been trying to find out what Mills was up to, and for seven months, the U.S. Department of State has refused to answer. Now CNN has learned a potential reason why. Cheryl Mills, then a U.S. government employee and Secretary of State Clinton's chief of staff, was in New York working on behalf of the Clinton Foundation. A source close to the situation confirms to CNN Mills was interviewing two people for the leadership role of the foundation. Interviews took place inside the Park Avenue executive headhunting offices of Russell Reynolds. Mills would interview top-level executives at Walmart and the drug company Pfizer, both companies huge donors to the Clinton Foundation and partners with the Clinton Global Initiative. Was Mills' role in violation of government ethics rules? Did she have permission from the U.S. State Department? Did State even know the trip was taking place? 
CNN has asked the U.S. State Department all of these questions. This was the response. Federal employees are permitted to engage in outside personal activities within the scope of the federal ethics rules. A state spokesperson tells CNN all federal employees are subject to federal ethics laws and regulations, including rules pertaining to conflicts of interest. That vague response raises more questions that are just not being answered. Not to CNN, but worse, says one watchdog group, not to the Republican-led Senate Judiciary Committee, which has a right to know. Congress has a rightful uh, right to ask for any information that it wants to from the executive branch of government to keep track of them. And the government should be turning that information over. And when you have a breakdown in that system, we have a breakdown in our democracy. It's easy to understand why Cheryl Mills was trusted with helping find the next director of the Clinton Foundation. Her relationships with the Clintons goes back decades. I am honored to be here today on behalf of the president. As Bill Clinton's deputy White House counsel, she defended the then president during impeachment proceedings. In 2008, when Hillary Clinton was running for president, Mills was her senior legal campaign advisor. Hi, Hillary Rodham Clinton. And when Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State, Mills left the board of the Clinton Foundation and became Hillary Clinton's chief of staff. Now Mills is once again on the board of the Clinton Foundation and was backstage with Hillary Clinton at the Democratic National Convention. The secrecy about the New York trip, the dual roles played by trusted assistants, the mixing of business between state, Clinton Foundation, and its donors, all play into a central theme of Donald Trump's campaign, that politicians, like the Clintons, use government to benefit themselves. These are crooked people. They've been crooked from the beginning. You look at that foundation, it's pure theft and pure crookedness. Cheryl Mills's attorney says her client was simply doing volunteer work for a charitable foundation. She was not paid. The Clinton Foundation also says Mills was not a paid employee. And that right there is what corruption looks like, because the more powerful individuals who are corrupt, they're not going to get down in the trenches and do the dirty work themselves. They're going to send their minions, oh, excuse me, their aides to do the dirty work for them. So also, I just have to say that was a CNN segment. We have to give them credit for this. They're actually being objective, even though their parent company, Time Warner, is one of Hillary Clinton's largest donors. This is objective investigative journalism, and I give them credit for that. Now, also, I have another update for you guys. So we all remember that the FBI's investigation into Hillary Clinton was allegedly twofold, one of which was to investigate whether or not she sent or received classified information on her personal email server as Secretary of State, and another was supposed to be a probe into the Clinton Foundation to determine whether or not there was evidence of corruption and these quid pro quo deals. Well, do you ever wonder why all of a sudden that investigation kind of just went away and we no longer are hearing anything about it? Well, last month, FBI Director James Comey was asked whether or not the FBI had actually launched a separate probe into the Clinton Foundation, as it was previously hinted that the scope of the investigation into Hillary Clinton had widened to include activities of the Clinton Foundation, and he just simply declined to comment. So why is it that James Comey declined to comment? and just say, no, we're not actually widening the scope of the investigation, even though we are. Uh, why did he do that? Well, come to find out, the FBI actually wanted to investigate the Clinton Foundation, but the Department of Justice said no. 
Washington Examiner explains Justice Department officials decided against an investigation into the Clinton Foundation after the FBI requested the agency open a case into allegations of corruption stemming from Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State. But the Justice Department's Public Integrity Unit declined to pursue the probe given what it characterized as insufficient evidence according to a CNN report Wednesday. Now I just love this because it's very telling. The Department of Justice is saying no you can't invest the Clinton Foundation for corruption because there's insufficient evidence. Right. Well, if there's insufficient evidence, isn't that the whole point of doing an investigation to gather evidence? Otherwise, what are you doing during the investigation? And the crazy thing is that we don't just have probable cause of Hillary Clinton doing favors for donors to the Clinton Foundation while she was Secretary of State. There are direct links to the State Department and the Clinton Foundation, and this is just more. This isn't really anything new besides newer revelations about different types of pay-to-play deals, but we already had evidence, like the Saudi regime, and how the majority of weapons deals that she gave were to donors of the Clinton Foundation who donated more than other people who got weapons deals. And also, if you were wondering why Loretta Lynch, the Attorney General, and Bill Clinton held that secret meeting on a plane all of a sudden, well, this might have something to do with it. They're all in cahoots, and the way in which, you know, the Department of Justice and the FBI have gone to great lengths to cover up for Hillary Clinton, even if they're discrediting their self, it just shows you that there's something even more dark that isn't being um, discovered yet. So even though these emails do reveal evidence of corruption, I think there's probably something even worse in here that we're not finding out about. So this is honestly just... It's really frustrating because we want our public officials to be held accountable, and... When there's evidence of corruption, they can't even investigate whether or not these officials are, in fact, corrupt. So this is our democracy, guys. It's a banana republic. So throughout this election cycle, Hillary Clinton has been endorsed by a number of Republicans, and that's not honestly too surprising given that she's war hawkish just like them, and also seeing that the Republican Party nominee actually poses an existential threat to the party itself. So it's not too surprising that many Republicans are crossing party lines to support her, but what is surprising is how Hillary Clinton is responding to some of these endorsements. So for example, John Negroponte endorsed Hillary Clinton. And I won't get into him because I want to focus on a different endorsement she's seeking, but all you have to do is Google John Negroponte and death camps and see what comes up and you'll be frightened. Now, he endorsed Hillary Clinton and this is a known war criminal. And what did Hillary Clinton do? Did she publicly distance herself from him? No, she released a press statement gloating about how he endorsed her. So rather than running away from these types of war criminals and reassuring her base that she isn't the war criminal we think she is, Hillary Clinton is running towards them. Now, she's also seeking the endorsement of Condoleezza Rice, also a war hawk who helped start an illegal war in Iraq. But Hillary Clinton also started that with her vote. Now, here's what's most puzzling to me. Hillary Clinton is currently seeking the endorsement of war criminal Henry Kissinger. And I can't even talk about half of the things that Henry Kissinger did, but let's just say that he should not be free right now. He should be locked up 
and in prison for the things that he did. He not only committed war crimes, but he committed things that are considered as crimes against humanity by many, many people. So I'm going to talk about the implications of this potential endorsement and why Henry Kissinger is such a bad, egregious person. So The Nation explains Hillary Clinton is courting the endorsement of Henry Kissinger. No surprise, Kissinger and the Clintons go back a ways to when Bill, in the early 1990s, sought out Kissinger's support to pass NAFTA and to, in the words of economist Jeff Fox, serve as the perfect tutor for a new Democratic president trying to convince Republicans and their business allies that they could count on him to champion Reagan's vision. Hillary has continued the apprenticeship soliciting Kissinger's advice and calling him, quote, friend. So he's been a longtime ally to the Clintons and literally taught Bill Clinton how to be more conservative and how to be more like Reagan. And back then, that made sense in some ways because Ronald Reagan, basically, we call it the Reagan Revolution for a reason, right? He was very influential. Uh, much of the Democratic electorate had started to look to the neoliberal policies of uh, the Republicans and Reagan. So this is what Bill Clinton did. He considered himself a third-way Democrat in order to actually be electorally viable again and to move Democrats in the direction of Ronald Reagan. So now they continue. As Richard Nixon's aide, Kissinger helped plan and execute a murderous illegal foreign policy in Southeast and South Asia, Southern Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America. As reckless and immoral as anything Trump now portends, millions died as a result of his actions. Kissinger and Nixon threatened to use nuclear weapons and indeed, Kissinger helped inscribe the threat of limited nuclear war into doctrine. Kissinger in the 1970s not only dug the hole that the greater Middle East finds itself in, but as an influential cheerleader for both the first Gulf War in 1991 and its 2003 sequel, helped drive the United States into that ditch. Now, The Intercept cited a nice summary from uh, Christopher Hitchens' book, uh, The Trial of Henry Kissinger, which just includes a list of some of the war crimes that Henry Kissinger has committed. So, one, the deliberate mass killing of civilian populations in Indochina, deliberate collusion in mass murder, and later in assassination in Bangladesh, the personal suborning and planning of murder of a senior constitutional officer in a democratic nation, Chile, with which the United States was not at war, personal involvement in a plan to murder the head of state in the democratic nation of Cyprus, the incitement and enabling of genocide in East Timor, personal involvement in a plan to kidnap and murder a journalist living in Washington, D.C. Now, just to remind you, this is someone who Hillary Clinton herself described as, quote, a friend who uh, has advised her while she was Secretary of State multiple times. He checked in on her and uh, he acted as a form of counsel to her. So this is very, very troubling. Now, he isn't just a bad person because of all the blood he has on his hands, but he's also corrupt. And when he was Secretary of State, he did many things to enrich himself personally. Hmm, sounds kind of familiar, right? Now, also, he played a role in facilitating global inequality through neoliberal economic policies. As Gerald Ford's Secretary of State, Kissinger was key to making sure Saudi Arabia and, until its revolution, Iran's growing mountain of petrodollars were recycled through private banks and arms merchants in Germany, the United Kingdom, and the United States, undercutting third world demands that capital be used to fund a more equitable global economy. So now if I told you any more about the ways in which he tried to personally enrich himself, about the ways that he tried to prop up brutal authoritarian regimes in Latin America, we'd be here all day. There's a lot 
There's so much. I'll include links down below so you can read more about him. But let's just note that this guy makes Donald Trump look like Jimmy Carter. That's how grotesque of a person Henry Kissinger really is. Now, does this imply that Hillary Clinton is as bad as Henry Kissinger? No, it doesn't. Although there are many parallels between him and her when it comes to the corruption and the warmongering, but she's certainly not on the same level as him in terms of committing these atrocities. But Hillary Clinton shouldn't be actively courting his endorsement. She should be running far away from him. Now, when there was a report that the Koch brothers were actually contemplating whether or not they would be donating to Hillary Clinton, since Donald Trump is such a maniac, Hillary Clinton came out and disavowed the Kochs and said, you know what, keep your money. I don't want it. She took the Twitter nearly immediately to say, I do not want your endorsement. And she's not doing that for Henry Kissinger, someone who I think is more politically toxic than the Koch brothers. Henry Kissinger has a lot of blood on his hands. He's just a bad person. And the fact that Hillary Clinton is seeking validation from someone like that, seeking an endorsement from someone like that, when she should be embarrassed to even be associated with him, it really speaks to how she would perform as president of the United States. It's scary. And I don't trust her with foreign policy. Now, does that mean that I trust Donald Trump? Absolutely not. But this is a Democratic presidential nominee. We shouldn't have to worry about whether or not they're going to be starting more unnecessary wars, but this is the modern Democratic establishment. They're just as corrupt and just as war hawkish as Republicans. In the last debate, I believe in her book, very good book, by the way, in her book and in this last debate, she talked about getting the approval or the support or the mentoring of Henry Kissinger. Now, I find it rather amazing because I happen to believe that Henry Kissinger was one of the most destructive secretaries of state in the modern history of this country. I am proud to say that Henry Kissinger is not my friend. I will not take advice from Henry Kissinger. And in fact, Kissinger's actions in Cambodia, when the United States bombed that country overthrew Prince Seeing or created the instability for Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge to come in, who then butchered some three million innocent people, one of the worst genocides in the history of the world. So count me in as somebody who will not be listening to Henry Kissinger. Well, I know journalists have asked who you do listen to on foreign policy, and we have yet to know who that is. Well, it ain't Henry Kissinger, that's, that's fine. for sure. That's fine. You know, I listen to a wide variety of voices uh, that have expertise in various areas. I think it is fair to say, uh, whatever the complaints that you want to make about him are, that with respect to China, one of the most challenging relationships we have his opening up China and his ongoing relationships uh, with the leaders of China is an incredibly useful relationship for the United States of America. So if we want to pick and choose, and I certainly do, people I listen to, people I don't listen to, people I listen to for certain areas, then I think we have to be fair and look at the entire world because it's a big, complicated world out there. And yes, people we may disagree with on a number of things may have some insight, may have some relationships that are important for the president to understand in order to best protect the United States. I find it, I mean, it's just a very different you know, historical perspective here. Uh, Kissinger was one of those people during the Vietnam era who talked about the domino theory. Not everybody remembers that. You do, I do. 
the domino theory. You know, if Vietnam goes, China, da 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 da. That's what he talked about. The great threat of China. And then after the war, this is the guy who, in fact, yes, you're right, he opened up relations with China and now pushed various type of trade agreements resulting in American workers losing their jobs as corporations moved to China. The terrible authoritarian communist dictatorship, he warned us about, now he's urging American companies to shut down and move to China. Not my kind of guy. Senator. In the ongoing competition to become America's next war criminal president, it's currently the case that Henry Kissinger's good friend Hillary Clinton is now in the lead, not just because she voted for the Iraq war, but while she was Secretary of State, she pushed to intervene in Libya. Now, Donald Trump usually gets a pass because we don't really have a foreign policy record of his to look at since he's never held public office. And also, he constantly rails against the intervention in Iraq and intervention in Libya, which are now widely considered as foreign policy blunders. But let's be honest here. Donald Trump wasn't on the right side of those issues right away. Are you for invading Iraq? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you know, I wish it was. I, I wish the first time it was done correctly. Gaddafi in Libya is killing thousands of people. We should go in. We should stop this guy, which would be very easy and very quick. Stop him from doing it and save these lives. But besides Donald Trump saying he would ramp up the fight against ISIS or wanting to use nuclear weapons against ISIS or wanting to institute a Syrian no-fly zone just like Hillary Clinton or wanting to rip up the Iran deal on day one or kill civilian family members of ISIS or bring back torture and allow for more nuclear proliferation and not take using nuclear weapons against Europe off the table and asking foreign policy experts why we can't use nukes if we have them. People still think that Donald Trump would be less interventionist than Hillary Clinton, all because he doesn't have a record to compare to hers. Now, I previously stated that I think Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump would probably be equally bad on the issue of foreign policy, and a new article from The Intercept shows that that might actually be the case. So they explain Donald Trump, who has railed against the political influence of military contractors, denounced wasteful Pentagon spending, and promised a less interventionist foreign policy, has nevertheless added to his transition team the leader of a group of of defense contractors who advocate greater American militarism. So he may be saying that he's going to be non-interventionist. However, one of his advisors, Michael Rogers, is trying to make sure that that's not actually going to be the case. Michael Rogers, the hawkish former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, will be advising the Trump transition team on national security, the Wall Street Journal reported on Tuesday. After leaving Congress, Rogers founded a pressure group called Americans for Peace, Prosperity, and Security, that's very Orwellian, intended to help elect a president who supports American engagement and strong foreign policy. Now here's the kicker and why we should be worried about Rogers. Defense contractors were also an important part of Rogers' congressional bids. During his 2014 run, for example, he took campaign contributions from Mantech International, L3 Communications, Motorola Solutions, Northrop Grumman, BAE Systems, Boeing, and Lockheed Martin. Now the fact that he has a war hawk like Michael Rogers advising him doesn't help him build credibility among non-interventionists uh, such as libertarians and progressives but let's be fair here, he still doesn't have 
uh, the donations that Hillary Clinton has. She's taking donations from defense contractors, not just to uh, her political campaigns, but to the Clinton Foundation. So Donald Trump doesn't have this connection between him and defense contractors, right? Except, despite Trump's non-interventionist talk, a financial analyst predicted in April that a Trump presidency would be good for the defense industry. In June, the Trump campaign met with representatives of defense contractors. I'm going to repeat that. In June, the Trump campaign met with representatives of defense contractors. Now, this includes Boeing, Raytheon, and Lockheed Martin. Now, Boeing, let me remind you, is someone who donated almost $1 million to the Clinton Foundation. So Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I mean, regardless of what they both want you to believe, they're friends. He donated to the Clinton Foundation and to her political campaigns. She attended his wedding. So, I mean, is it really surprising to think that they might also have the same friends in their social circle, like defense contractors, like Boeing? Here's the thing. Even if it is the case that Donald Trump has said all these horrible things and publicly stated his intent to commit war crimes, that doesn't erase Hillary Clinton's record. She's still a warmonger. She's still war hawkish. She still has blood on her hands and many foreign policy blunders under her belt. But it's abundantly clear that Donald Trump wouldn't necessarily be any better than Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, what's the conclusion here? You can choose between a war hawk or a war hawk. <laughs> I mean, someone who says they're going to commit war crimes and atrocities abroad, I don't know that they're going to be that much better on foreign policy than someone who has already had all these foreign policy blunders. So don't let Conman Don fool you. He's proven that he's just as thirsty for blood as Hillary Clinton. So let me educate you on two people you can vote for who will not perpetuate more unnecessary wars, who won't get more blood on their hands. It's not Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Those two people are Jill Stein and Gary Johnson. And unless you vote for them, you're voting for someone that either A, already has blood on their hands, or B, is telling you that they're going to get a lot of blood on their hands. So don't believe Donald Trump. Don't believe Hillary Clinton. These are two people who are very dangerous. Donald Trump might be bigoted against Muslims and Latinos and African Americans and women, but when it comes to the LGBT community, he's apparently setting a new standard for Republican presidential nominees. So we're told. Now, I've given credit to Donald Trump before because he did say some things that were good. So, for example, he said that transgender people should be allowed to use whatever bathroom that they want to. Now, I shouldn't really have to give him credit for that since that's just common sense. Yes, people in America should be able to shit and pee wherever they want to. But irrespective of that one instance of him being actually sane on one issue, he's still very much anti-gay. So, not only is he against gay marriage personally, but he said that he would actually appoint Supreme Court Justice that would overturn the landmark marriage equality ruling. And furthermore, he doubled down on that when he chose Mike Pence, the vehemently anti-gay governor from Indiana, who literally signed a bill into law that legalizes discrimination against LGBT people. So if you're gay in Indiana under Mike Pence, he signed a bill that says that you could be kicked out of a store if it is the case that you are gay and the store owner doesn't like your flamboyancy or whatever the case may be. But in spite of all of that, I'm told by Trump supporters that he actually does care about gay people. In fact, he cares more about gay people than Hillary Clinton because he's going to ban Syrian refugees from entering the country. Well, thank you, Donald. I mean, how, how polite of you to look out for us gay people, except I don't think those two things are related. See, he kind of looks to the uh, example of the Pulse nightclub shooter who shot up the gay bar. 
but that dude wasn't a Syrian refugee. So, I mean, he might want to take away your rights, but at least Syrian refugees won't be allowed to enter the country. Yeah, I'll pass, Donald, because I think that it's only right that we actually take responsibility for intervening in the Middle East and allow the people actually affected by our imperialistic policies to seek refuge here. If you actually want to protect us from religious extremists who are bigoted, who want to hurt us, then all you need to do is look at your VP pick. Because it's the Christian extremists that are actually trying to take away our rights, not the Muslims who make up 2.1% of the country. So uh, actually be objective and look at the religious group in the country that is trying to take away gay rights. But Donald Trump won't do that. But still, in spite of all this, many people still maintain that Donald Trump is good on LGBT rights. And if you don't believe me that he's actually anti-gay, well, guess what? Donald Trump is going to prove it to you because two months after 49 people were massacred, Donald Trump will be joining little Marco and will be speaking at an anti-gay summit in Orlando called Rediscovering God in America Renewal Project. Now, just to give you a taste of how crazy some of these people are, well, the speakers include David Barton, who believes that HIV and AIDS is God's punishment for homosexuality, and he's also against anti-gay bullying campaigns because those are only attempts to indoctrinate students into homosexuality. So in other words, he doesn't care if LGBT youth commit suicide from bullying, so long as they don't turn out gay. Who cares? Now, there's also Pastor Ken Graves from Maine, who often talks about militant homofascism in his sermons. And according to him, the gays and their coalition of allies are attempting to build a secular humanist caliphate in America. Of course we're not. This is ridiculous. We would never do that. Or would we? No, we also have Bill Federer, a conspiracy theorist, ooh, who believes gay rights are bringing about an Islamist takeover of America. Yes, because a religion that says you should execute gay people is somehow aligned with gay people. <laughs> now, David Lane, founder of the American Renewal Project, who has explicitly stated his plans to grill Trump on how he plans to fight, quote, homosexual totalitarianism and gay rights, quote, militants. <laughs> I, I honestly don't even know what that means. And of course, standing by his side is Mike Pence, who has referred to gay marriage as indicative of a societal collapse and who wanted to use HIV and AIDS money to fund conversion therapy. So he's basically attending the anti-gay all-star summit. You've got all the greats here. The only ones missing are Phil Robertson and Kim Davis. Uh, get them together and you have every anti-gay buffoon in the country. So Donald Trump, who has maintained that he's a quote, friend to gay people, will be speaking at this vehemently anti-gay summit. Okay, one, everyone at this summit is probably gay because nobody cares about homosexuality that much. You guys think about homosexuality more than anyone. And studies have shown that people who are externalizing their disgust with homosexuality are more likely to be gay. And look, there's that one pastor who's a crazy person who literally claims that Starbucks employees are turning people gay because they are ejaculating in their coffees. Not joking, I don't know if they do it individually or if they keep, you know, a jug of semen in the coffees, but he said it's just so delicious. And that's why people keep coming back to Starbucks, because it's turning them gay and they're getting addicted to the semen that's in the coffee. Watch out, if you're a woman, you might just get pregnant by drinking Starbucks, because they've got some pretty potent semen in that drink. many people will question, well, this guy has to be gay with the stuff that he's saying. And he was on the Young Turks interview and he 
basically inadvertently admitted to being attracted to men. So Pastor Manny, I'm getting a sense for overall from your descriptions here that you think that being gay is a lifestyle choice, so it's a choice that a lot of people would want to make. You think that semen is delicious to a lot of people. And and these are choices that people make. So it seems like perhaps if it wasn't for the Bible and the teachings of Moses, etc., that that you might have been tempted by those choices as well. Uh, is that is that the case? Have you been tempted? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Gotcha, bitch. No, 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 no doubt about it. You know, Jenk, uh, I spent three and a half years in prison. So that is what you're going to see at this summit. Come on, everybody, let's get some queers and some trucks and have us a good old-fashioned fag rag. That is what you're going to see at this summit. So I wouldn't be surprised if the gay prostitution market in Orlando skyrockets during this summit. So all of these people who are closeted homosexuals, presumably, will be at this summit just to talk about how bad gay people are. And Donald Trump, who claims to be a so-called friend to the gay community, will be right there with them circle jerking about how terrible gay people are. Well, with friends like Donald Trump, who needs enemies, right? Donald Trump contradicts himself so many times that it's difficult to ascertain whether or not even he believes the words that are coming out of his own mouth. Now, we have a recent example when he said that Obama founded ISIS, and then he clarified and said, no, I literally meant he founded ISIS. And then a few days later, after doubling down and tripling down, he said, I was just being sarcastic. Don't you people get sarcasm? So you never know what the hell to believe with Donald Trump. Typically, you shouldn't believe anything that comes out of his mouth. But user Plain Sight compiled a bunch of clips showing just how much Donald Trump really does contradict himself. So we'll watch that and then come back and discuss it. I'm the only one on the stage that said we should not go into Iraq. Are you for invading Iraq? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you know, I wish it was. I, I wish the first time it was done correctly. I'm very pro-life. I'm very pro-choice. Do you believe in punishment for abortion? Yes or no? Is a principle. There has to be some form of punishment. I am pro-choice in every respect. She has no natural talent to be president. She's very talented, and she has a husband that I also like very much. Hillary Clinton was the worst Secretary of State in the history of the United States. Hillary Clinton, how did she do as Secretary of State? Probably above and beyond everybody else. Let's say Hillary is president. I, uh. Hillary Clinton, I think, is a terrific woman. I think she really works hard, and I think she does a good job, and I like her. I will build the wall and Mexico is going to pay for it and they'll be happy to pay for it. I'm not going to pay for that fucking wall. This guy used a filthy, disgusting word on television and he should be ashamed of himself and he should apologize, okay? Listen, you motherfuckers. I'm going to bomb the shit out of them. We'll beat the shit out of them. Political bullshit. You're not going to raise that fucking price, you understand? Donald, true or false, you've said the government should pay for everyone's health care. That's false. You've never That's said false. that. Everybody's got to be covered. Universal health care. I am going to take care of everybody. Well, who pays for it? The government's going to pay for it, but we're going to save so much money on the other side. He said I was in favor of Libya. I was, I never discussed that subject. I was in favor of Libya. We would be so much better off if Gaddafi were in charge right now. Gaddafi in Libya is killing thousands of people. We should go in, we should stop this guy, which would be very easy and very quick. Stop him from doing it and save these lives. 
They're here illegally. You take them, they have to go back. We have to show some compassion. Right, we just can't throw everybody out. They have so you're going to split up families. Chuck. You're going to deport children. Chuck, no, no. We're going to keep the families together. We have to keep the families together. But you're going to keep but them together out. But they have to go. How do you throw somebody out that's lived in this country for 20 years? North Korea has nukes. Japan has a problem with that. I mean, they have a big problem with it. Maybe they would, in fact, be better off if they defend themselves from North Korea. Maybe with we nukes. would be better off, including with nukes. Yes, including with nukes. And they said, I want Japan to nuke. I want Japan to get nuclear weapons. Give me a break. But if you say to Japan, yes, it's fine, you get nuclear weapons, South Korea, you as well, and Saudi Arabia says we can want I, them to. Can too. I be honest with you? It's going to happen anyway. So it's only a question of time. I'm a conservative person. The Republicans are just too crazy right. I mean, just what's going on is just nuts. Bush says, Bush says, I do not believe he's a true conservative. <laughs> These people are stupid. Do you identify more as a Democrat or a Republican? In many cases, I probably identify more as a Democrat. The economy does better under the Democrats than the Republicans. I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. What do you see as the biggest problem with the Reform Party right now? Well, you've got David Duke just joined. A bigot, a racist, a problem. I mean, this is not exactly the people you want in your party. Wages too high. We're not going to be able to compete against the world. I hate to say it, but we have to leave it the way it is. I don't know how people make it on $7.25 an hour. I would like to see an increase of some magnitude. Do you believe voters have a right to see your tax returns before they make a final decision? I don't think they do. If I decide to run for office, I'll produce my tax returns, absolutely. There have been many presidents that have not shown their tax returns. Uh, actually, every single nominee since 1976 has released right, their tax but before returns. before 1976. Nobody was worse to women or abused women more than Bill Clinton. Look at the trouble Bill Clinton got into with something that was totally unimportant. She's married to a man who got impeached. They tried to impeach him, which was nonsense. He was impeached for lying. Honesty, Carter once said, I'll never lie to you. Would you say that to the American people? Uh, I would never lie. When I'm president, I'm a different person. I can do anything. I can be the most politically correct person that you've ever seen. I can be the most politically correct person in the world. And I can be the opposite. The president has to be a great leader, and you have to lead by example. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? I'd like to punch him in the face. I'd look her right in that fat, ugly face of hers. Blood coming out of her, wherever. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh, this guy will say anything. As far as the truth goes, we've got people in, in positions of power who I know for a fact are liars, liars. I don't believe any one of them, not one. I believe Donald. Mm -hmm. Now, in case you weren't counting, that was 14 different issues or topics that he contradicted himself on. And when it gets to the uh, outrage that he talked about with Vincent Fox, he said, I'm not going to build that fucking wall. And Donald Trump, you know, he's just so outraged. He, cu he, he cussed. How could you say that? How could you say such a terrible word? You should apologize. Now, this is coming from the king of the anti-PC police crusaders. He's triggered by a curse word. 
give me a break. And of course, Donald Trump curses. All adults curse. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't necessarily curse too much on this podcast just because many people uh, tell me that they like to listen to it at work. So I try to make my reach as big as possible. But uh, I mean, if we're adults, there's no big deal when it comes to cursing. So he's just doing that because he didn't like what Vincent Fox had to say. But to act as though, you know, he was just so outraged and triggered by the curse word it's ridiculous. So that kind of stood out to me. So I like this because this is akin to the video of Hillary Clinton lying for 13 minutes straight. When you have two candidates that are incredibly dishonest, like Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, you actually have to compile these clips. And, you know, they're pissed that the internet exists probably because without it, we wouldn't even know whether or not they're lying or telling the truth half the time. But we can look back in history and see you saying the things that you say you didn't say. So uh, I love this. Now, the question is, what will the response be from Donald Trump supporters? Well, inevitably, they're going to say that, you know, in many of these clips, he was taken out of context. And no matter what Donald Trump says, if it's something that they don't like, then they say that he was taken out of context. For example, Donald Trump literally said wages in America are too high. And I did a video covering it. And they said, you're taking them completely out of context. He didn't mean that the wages are too high. Really? So when he says that the wages are too high, he doesn't mean that the wages are too high. How about this? I'll take his word for it. And if I'm taking him out of context or I am not catching what he's saying or I'm interpreting it wrong, maybe he should be more fucking articulate when he speaks. So honestly, the mental gymnastics that come out of Donald Trump's supporters, it borders on delusional. Because if you have someone saying stupid things over and over and over and over and over, not only does it, you know, diminish the political debate between him and Hillary Clinton, because we're focusing on these idiotic things he keeps saying, but I mean... It's so obnoxious because no matter what Donald Trump says, there's always an explanation for it. There's always someone taking him out of context, allegedly. But maybe it's time you just admit that if someone is taken out of context so much, maybe he shouldn't be a world leader. Because what is he going to say in office? Is he going to talk shit about Vladimir Putin and then say, no, he took me out of context? You can't do that, you know? You, you can't go back on your word if you are the leader of the country. So how are you going to rectify this if he does this while he's in office? Isn't that a sign that your candidate is flawed? Of course not. He's perfect. Nothing he can ever say or do is bad. So, you know, I love this video. I, I'm very thankful that User Plainsight put this together. Shout out to him. I put a link in the description box to his channel. Please check it out and uh, subscribe to him for putting this together. The DEA was contemplating whether or not they would reclassify marijuana from Schedule 1 under the Controlled Substances Act. Now, under this classification, it puts marijuana in the same category as drugs such as heroin and LSD that allegedly have no known medical benefits and are very addictive. Now, I believe that it should be removed from the Controlled Substance Act altogether. We should just declassify it completely. But the fact that they won't even choose to move it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 is honestly ridiculous. So the DEA claims it was supportive of efforts to advance scientific research on marijuana, but that it maintains its opposition to medical marijuana. Marijuana has no accepted medical use in the United States and lacks an acceptable level of safety for use even under medical supervision, it said. Now, that couldn't be further from the truth because it's been proven with the limited amount of medical studies that we've actually been able to do that there are a plethora of medical benefits to cannabis. So when it comes 
comes to treating epilepsy and reducing nausea among cancer patients who are undergoing chemotherapy. It has medical benefits. Now, I've seen it firsthand uh, from one of my family members who has lupus, never smoked marijuana in her life, and then she started getting medical marijuana to treat her lupus, and she basically had a new lease on life. She was like a normal person. It reduced her pain. And furthermore, think about the obvious benefits that it might have for people with mental illness, such as depression and anxiety even. I mean... It's evident. The medical benefits are evident, and it's just common sense to think, yeah, yeah, you know, people like to do this, so maybe it has some mental and psychological benefits, and obviously it's not physically addictive. It's certainly no more harmful than alcohol, and I would actually argue that it's less harmful than alcohol. So, I mean, this decision, it just... It further diminishes the credibility of an already outdated organization that I think has done more harm than good. So when it comes to my stance on drugs, I've always had a libertarian uh, philosophy that, you know, if, if it doesn't harm me, then I think people should have the personal liberty to do what they want. So that means we abolish the DEA or convert it into the DRA, the Drug Rehabilitation Agency, and then we decriminalize all drugs, legalize some, and see if you convert the DEA into the DRA, then nobody from the DEA loses jobs, and not only would we watch the crime rate fall, but we'd watch drug user rates and incarceration rates fall. This would particularly benefit minority communities because even though it's the case that African Americans use marijuana at the same rate or a lower rate than white people, they are four times as likely to be arrested. So it's just time that we update our policies and our societal view when it comes to drugs. Now, a progressive that we all know and love had something to say about this. So Bernie Sanders condemned the decision on Twitter, saying that people can argue about the pluses and minuses of marijuana, but everyone knows it's not a killer drug like heroin. And actually, last year, Bernie Sanders introduced legislation to completely deschedule marijuana and remove it from the Controlled Substance Act altogether. Now, even though this is bad news, there is a kernel of good news that we can take from this. The New York Times explains that the Obama administration is planning to remove a major roadblock to marijuana research, officials said Wednesday, potentially spurring broad scientific study of a drug that is being used to treat dozens of diseases in states across the nation despite little rigorous evidence of its effectiveness. The new policy is expected to sharply increase the supply of marijuana available to researchers, and in taking this step, the Obama administration is further relaxing the nation's stance on marijuana. President Obama has said he views it as no more dangerous than alcohol, and the Justice Department has not stood in the way of states that have legalized the drug. So this is a step in the right direction. It's progress, albeit slow, incremental baby steps, but I mean, I'll take it over nothing. Uh, but I mean, still, I, I, I was honestly shocked when I read this that the DEA is still trying to convince us about this reefer madness theory that marijuana is addictive and that it's as harmful as heroin and it's going to melt your brain. It's honestly just propaganda. And what's really behind this drive? Why is it the case that so many politicians are against marijuana legalization? You'd think that it wouldn't matter, right? Well, it does matter because the alcohol industry is contributing thousands of dollars to politicians in both parties to get them to keep marijuana illegal. So one example is Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She rails against marijuana. She thinks it's harmful and doesn't want it legalized, yet she takes money from the alcohol industry. How many people die from alcohol poisoning and from drunk driving and killing people every single year? It's thousands. How many people die from <laughs> marijuana overdoses? It sounds funny just saying it. Zero. So it, it's honestly just, it's puzzling. It's so outdated. This is going to be legal in all 50 states, in many countries. It just doesn't make sense to keep marijuana illegal when it is not harmful. 
Well, that's all I got for you guys. I want to thank everyone for tuning in so loyally each week. For those of you who haven't even seen the full video yet, but you're already hitting that thumbs up button, thank you so much. It really means the world to me. Also, thank you to all of the members and Patreon patrons and the people who donate for making this show possible. You guys are truly awesome. So uh, thanks for watching. You know, hopefully you enjoy the episode. <laughs>